This episode of One for One is brought to you in part by absolutely nobody. Uh, we still don't have any sponsors, and we would really prefer them. We would really enjoy a little bit of sponsorship, but at the end of the day, if you're not willing to put faith in us to put faith in your product, then I don't know how you expect to put faith in anything. I mean, you kind of just need to do it. You kind of need to just say, hey, Miles and Nolan from One for One, they do a pretty damn good job. I think maybe it might be time to throw them a bone once in a while. Maybe want to hand us some free shit. Maybe you want to give us free apparel or free beverages. Who knows? Who knows? Who's no, who knows what's out there? This episode of One for One is also brought to you in part by you the people. Everybody who's been listening and everybody who's been tuning in since the beginning of season one. And now that we're approaching the season finale, it's time to have a little bit of solo run from myself. Miles is off tonight. Um, we wanted to put something a little bit a little bit bigger, a little bit spicier out there this week. But unfortunately, time constraints and different uh, personal issues uh, set aside, we couldn't do that. So you're getting a special little episode from me, the man, Nolan. I'm just kidding. I don't think of myself that highly at all. But it's been a very eventful week, you know, with their Oilers rookie camp has been going on. They won a 4-3 game against the Calgary Flames on Saturday. A couple of stories out of that, mainly the fact that everybody seems to be getting injured now. Dylan Holloway out for approximately three months or so with another wrist surgery. That's great. Uh, and then Dmitry Samarukov breaking his jaw because it wouldn't be Oilers' luck without a couple of prospect injuries, right? But a couple of nice little stories. Henry R- Henry Rabinsky, if that's the name, the Florida Panthers draft pick that has everybody seem to be everybody seems to be talking about, looking pretty damn good with uh, you know a couple of goals in his uh, in his first rookie camp game, as well as the exemplary play of Ostap Safin or Safin or I I, I, I don't know we're gonna we're, we're gonna make that we're gonna make that jump once we are further ahead but I think this group looks pretty good Broberg depending on who you speak to some say he looked very pedestrian some say he looked great but everything is looking is looking nice Ilya Konovalov starts tonight after uh, Olivier Rodrigue did not look so hot in the last game. But that gets me thinking about Ilya Konovalov. How much better could he be than Stuart Skinner, who's looking like a really fantastic AHL starter at the moment? Could he be 25% better? Maybe 40% better? I'm not sure. I don't, I mean, it's tough to say, you know. Uh, you know, these... These Russian goaltenders are doing all kinds of things, you know. They're working on their athleticism and doing all that, uh, doing all that ball work and stuff like that and those things. But I'm excited about Ilya Konovalov, and I really think that he could be a potential Vesna candidate. Who knows? Who knows? Right? In other news, somebody really needs to do an audit at OEG, an in-house audit on who they're giving their press passes to. Because, my heavens, the interview questions from Jim Matheson have been, I don't know if I want to call them interesting, 
or if I want to call them shocking how bad they are. It's a lot of how weird is it to speak Russian in an English-speaking country, and also you're very big. I don't, I don't know if I like that. I don't, I don't know if I do. And quite frankly, I think everybody has just kind of reached their breaking point with Jim Matheson. And most of the Oilers media in general, I think it's time, OEG, if you're listening, Oilers management, fans, players, everybody, I think it's time to give Miles and Nolan a press pass. It's time. It's time, baby. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it right now. Feeling it deep, deep in my loins. We need a press pass, and we need to go with that. Speaking of Miles, a couple of things he wanted me to talk about since he's not here for the season finale. We talked about this earlier, and I basically said to him, Hey, Miles, send me, send me a text with just all the things you want to talk about. And so <clears throat> this comes directly from the phone of Miles Fuchs. So I will read this verbatim. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, or math, math, set up with the mask and full pads got released today. Super slutty daddy, like, mm, hot, wet boy, nice for me, thanks. I, I, yeah, really like the Fleury pads. NHL social media tagged a boomer lady instead of a player in their recent post, another example of their incompetence. Um, that was about the, uh, I believe it was Ivan Barbashev on the St. Louis Blues, who they tagged some lady named Barb. It's just, um, <laughs> you know, the NHL social media, and just the NHL in general, I just, I don't. I don't know. I love the game. And, I, and and to be honest, I I think I love the league, but I really don't love how the league is run and I don't love how they have no self-awareness but by any means in general. Um please, NHL, step your game up. Please. I'm I'm not I'm not begging for much. Next up, uh, Matty T Turtles Sherwood gloves are the swagless gear find of the week. <laughs> That's such a fucking miles. <laughs> um, lastly, uh, Panarin, but spelt wrong. Uh, <laughs> Panarian doesn't want to wear the C in NYR. Days they have more, or says they have more deserving guys in the room. I like a star guy saying shit like that, putting the team before his ego. Big respect. We love our Temi Panarin on this pod, or our Temi Panarin. As as the as the educational folks say, um, and I think that brings up a good question: Who should the next captain of the New York Rangers be? Should it be a guy like Panarin? Should it be a guy like Zibanejad? Should it be a guy like <clears throat> Jack Eichel? Should it be a guy like I don't know, um, Adam Fox, the reigning Norris winner? Who knows? Who knows what it could be? You never. I mean, you never know with captains. Do you want to give it to to the old grizzled vet, or do you want to give it to the young hot star, the young sexy star of of the week. I don't know. Uh, also wanted to, or also wanted to mention too on the pod, uh, Arizona bringing back the Kachina logo, which is pretty cool. They're bringing it back full time, and they're ma- they're bringing back the away Kachina jersey, so they're going to keep their regular home Kachina jersey while bringing in the away one as well. Um, and this was a part of the Arizona Coyotes rebrand. Uh, they still do not have an arena, but 
they're doing a full rebrand. So I guess that works. Speaking of captains, actually, who do we think is going to be the next captain? Are they going to make it uh, a guy named uh, Jacob Chikrin, a really uh, good-looking dude? Or are they going to wait it out for uh, a certain a certain center who plays uh, north of the border in a few years? I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate because I don't like talking about players leaving teams because, quite frankly, it makes me scared one for one bingo, and it makes me very, uh, how do I explain it? I feel like karma is going to come for me if I bring up something like that because I often think about Connor McDavid leaving the Oilers, and it, 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 it gives me night sweats. So with all that being said, it's election day in Canada today, so I highly recommend you go out and vote and uh, try to get your candidate in office. It's very important that we exercise our right to vote. You know, Miles and I have discussed this, and we've discussed, uh, you know, who we're who we're looking at, whose platforms we really like, or, you know, who who really works in our riding. And I, I mean, I I don't I don't I don't want to speak for him, but I think I can safely speak for the both of us and say, I mean, we're definitely going to be voting for. Um Goodness! Oh, sorry, sorry about that. My uh, my copy of the band Lit's 1999 magnum opus, A Place in the Sun, just randomly started playing. So I apologize, but yes, you know, uh, vote for that guy. Yeah. Um, in other news, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been sticking around this entire time, who's been putting up with Miles and I's time away and our inconsistent schedule trust me this will get more consistent we've just had a lot going on the past uh the past couple months but now that hockey's back and now that we'll have a um consistent schedule from the team themselves and uh you know all that extra content is coming out which means we're gonna get 82 games this year instead of 56 and then we also get a preseason so that'll be fun to get excited about guys that won't make the team and probably be put on waivers and then we'll uh scream and want to punch our computers because why would they put uh you know uh freaking uh, cooper marodi on waivers when he had four goals in one game in the preseason you know that's what you come to one for one for you come for laughs you come for uh overreaction you come for arguments that's what you want that's what you want from one for one so I'm looking forward to this upcoming season. And like I said, thank you to everybody who's been sticking by us and who's been listening and who's been getting our name out there, following us on all the socials at one underscore four underscore one pod on Instagram and at one for one pod on Twitter. We appreciate you. We appreciate all of you. And this is a special treat for the season finale. An interview with someone within the organization. Oh my God. Someone that has a very prominent voice, you might say, in the organization. Yes, you're seeing the title correctly. Jack Michaels of Sportsnet was our interview. This was something that was teed up back in the end of June. So, sorry for getting to you so late, but I wanted to give Jack his own episode. I didn't want to attach it on something. But I'm very excited to say, here is the Jack Michaels interview. Sorry. Scratch that. It's not the Jack Michaels interview yet. 
wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of what's going to be going on. So this week we will be recording our first episode of season two, which is going to be the Metropolitan Preview. Then after that, on October 26th, we will be recording, sorry, September 26th, we will be recording the Atlantic Breakdown. On October the 3rd, it'll be the Central Breakdown. And then on October the 10th, right before the beginning of the regular season, the Pacific Division. And we'll, you know, pick some pick some guys we're really intrigued by, maybe pick an MVP from each team. We're gonna we're gonna do this really well. So it's gonna be kinda like a state of the union but or a state of the union, but a lot more in depth with each of these teams. So I hope you're excited for that. I hope you're excited for the future of this podcast and for maybe some other things that might come along under a banner of some sort. We'll see. We're workshopping ideas. We're this is gonna be really exciting. Thank you. And here's Jack Michaels. But first, a word from our friends from the intro song. Perfect. Well, joining us on One for One, I have somebody that I've been very excited to get on here. Someone I've uh, I've been exchanging a few uh, a few uh, Twitter DMs with the last little while, and uh, I mean, I could not be more fired up to introduce him. Uh, the voice of the Oilers uh, of the Oilers Radio, as well as the uh, Sportsnet Regional Broadcast uh, for the Play by Play, Jack Michaels. Jack, welcome. Th- thanks a lot for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. No, no problem whatsoever. Glad to help. Um, I guess to start off with, I mean, how's the summer been? I know you've been hitting up the. I know you've hit. I know you've been hitting up the links a lot. So, uh, I mean, what courses are looking good, and how's the swing? Uh, you know what? All the courses are looking good. The swing is not so good. <laughs> I, I, I wish uh, my game resembled the quality of the courses I've been playing. Uh, as you know, the Edmonton area is uh, blessed with a number of fine tracks, but I have yet to find one that is. Uh, able to contain the various wayward shots that I am able to hit left, right, and everything in between. Well, I, I mean, I mean, you can only hope for the best, right? And I mean, with the weather that we've got right now, while some people may find it hot, I know at least for me, I've, I've, I've rather enjoyed it. I mean, you're like, never going to hear me complaining about the heat. <laughs> no one in Northern Alberta should. I just got off the course with my son actually a little while ago. So uh, it's been great. Uh, weather's been great. Summer's been great so far. I'm looking forward to a return to normalcy, uh, you know, starting July 1, and then hopefully that carries forward into the hockey season because yeah. uh, it was not as much fun not having fans in the buildings. wasn't as much fun, you know, having to do games off a monitor. I just, uh, you know, you get into this business to be part of live events, and uh, I cannot begin to – describe what a massive difference and not in a positive way it is when you don't have 18,000 people in the building every night. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it, it seems to um, like, it not only seems to fire up the players, but I think it actually fires up you a lot. Cause you can definitely hear it in the calls. I mean, when you it energizes everyone, <laughs> yeah, it energizes exactly. everyone. There's, there's just no getting around the fact of uh, you know, they call it atmosphere for a reason. Yeah. And when it's not the same atmosphere, no one's game in any facet, the players, the broadcasters, the officials, anyone. 
Uh, I don't think anyone does their job better when you don't have that natural energy in the building and not just during the game, before the game, just the whole vibe. Uh, it, uh, you know, they call it the big leagues for a reason and it's not big league when there's no one there to watch it. Uh, well, actually, speaking of the team, you kind of sort of answered my question, but I think that it, it's I think that this actually allows for a much more interesting question, which was you obviously just wrapped up your first season as the play by play guy for the for the regional games for Sportsnet. Um, I, I, something I like unanimously Oiler fans have been super excited about. Uh, everyone was calling for you for the uh, uh, for like the playoff games just because your calls have just been so incredible and just completely electric. Um, how was the adjustment from radio to television? And I know that it's obviously going to be a bit of a difficult question to answer because you're dealing with no fans, right? So it's going to be a little bit different than having that sort of being there and having all the atmosphere with you. But what was the what was the adjustment like? Well, I, you know, I had done a bunch of TV prior to this, um, not so much for the Oilers. I mean, I had done one game of the Oilers, one game for the LA Kings. I had done a bunch of television in the minor leagues. Uh, so, I mean, while it was an adjustment, it wasn't as big as you might think. Uh, the other thing that really helped is, you know, not only did we have a solid technical crew that kind of makes things easy and, and turns the telecast in almost a – you know, a push button scenario where all you have to do is show up and do your job and, and everyone else takes care of the rest. I mean, they do a phenomenal job behind the scenes and it's the same way on the radio broadcast too. I've got a producer by the name of Troy Bowler does everything for me. I mean, all I got to do is throw the headset on and start yakking. So, uh, but, but obviously, you know, having a 10 year friendship and relationship with Louis DeBrusque was a big, you know, a big, reason why it didn't seem that much of a transition. I mean, Louis not only a, you know, a great broadcaster, I mean, he's a hell of a analyst. I, I think there's, to be honest with you, within the sports that family, I don't think there's anyone better than Louis. Uh, and I, you know, we're good friends too. So it makes it, it makes it that much easier when the guy you're working with is, is such a good pal. So I really didn't feel that much of a transition and that's not to suggest anything in the way of arrogance on my part. It's just the people around me were so accomplished and so professional. And quite frankly, I have good relationships with them all that it was that that's why it made, was so easy. Well, and, and I was actually going to bring that up too, because despite the fact that, you know, it was the, it was, it was the first year of you guys doing this as like a, as, as like a, as like a permanent mainstay for the team. The chemistry you guys had was just incredible. I mean, there's, there's well, that's certain... a product of friendship. Yeah. yeah that I really mean... is. Uh, you know, some of those conversations and some of those little one-liners have popped up at a breakfast down the road, you know, Louie and I have gone, gone to movies together. I mean, we spent a lot of time together. I mean, during normal times on the road, you know, we spent a lot of time together on the plane. We spent a lot of time together, you know, just doing social things outside of the hotel. I mean, this is all pre COVID and stuff, but I mean, there's a lot of years there. There's a lot of years of getting to know each other and, and just reading off people and, you know, knowing each other's moods and everything like that. I, I think, uh, you know, I think that makes, I think that makes it a lot easier to have on air chemistry when you're friends with a guy, you know, away from your profession. Absolutely. I, I mean, you kind of left it wide open. I have to ask what kind of movies are Jack Michaels and Louis DeBras going to see? <laughs> well, the last one I remember seeing with Louis, and this again goes to show you how, 
long ago it's been since, you know, this COVID has kind of taken over our lives, but I, it was Ford versus Ferrari is the last one we saw. We saw downtown LA. Uh, that's the last one I can remember seeing with Lou. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we also like to find the odd out of the way, you know, greasy spoon breakfast type of place. Breakfast is both of ours favorite meal of the day. And we usually have like kind of a late breakfast. We'll do it after the pregame skates and after a bunch of our work is done in the morning. So we like to hit it up around like one, one thirty. that narrows the list a little bit. <laughs> you know, some places don't serve breakfast that late, but I, I find the ones that do are usually the best at it. And there's actually a great place in downtown LA called the pantry that we always go to. So yeah, Louie and I have our own, you know, favorite haunts in and around the, the league and, and again, when you spend time together away from the rink and you enjoy each other's company, I think it'll translate to the telecast more often than not. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, thank you very much for the show to, for the restaurant, because I'll definitely write it down. So if I ever find myself in L.A., I'll have to check out the pantry for sure. Um, I, I kind of wanted to press the rewind button on your career a little bit just to kind of give the audience a bit of a quick history. I mean man, you've, you've had a really impressive grind through all the different leagues that you went through. You've had a hell of a trek across North America, starting off from local Pennsylvania media all the way now to, you know, a pretty national broadcast, including an eight year run in Alaska with the ECHL. Yeah. Um, Anchorage, Alaska. And before that, uh, three years in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So yeah, I've, I've hit up all corners of the globe and, you know, when, when people say they want to get into this business, I always, I always ask them like, you know, how much do you want to be part of this business? Cause you do have to go unless you're, you know, supernaturally talented. And, and I would not put myself in that category. You've got to go to the corners of the globe. You've got to pursue the, where, you know, the, the corners that where there's work to be had uh, and you've got to put in the work and you've got to treat it as big league, even though it may not feel big league at times. And I think that's, you know, something that makes me appreciate working in the National Hockey League all the more is I, I know what it's like not to work in the National Hockey League and to do nearly a thousand games outside of the NHL and have to crawl back to my hometown and work for four bucks and 25 cents an hour and, you know, and to put up dasher boards and to, you know, call around right before the season and collect artwork for companies and, you know, just do, uh, I can't tell you some of the mind numbing tasks that have been involved with my career to get to a certain point. And I don't say that, you know, to kind of put it down or anything. I think all that is, it gives you an appreciation for where you're at now. It also, there's, there's little moments in your career where I, I think you, you grow as a person and you learn to, not just accept the situation you may be in, but excel in it and, and to push yourself to achieve big things, even though you might be in a relatively small pond, metaphorically speaking. So I, I'm grateful for all those experiences. I really am. I, you know, I'm, I'm proud that both my kids were born in Anchorage, Alaska. It's a conversation starter that they'll yeah. have for the rest of their lives. It's a, a state and an area very, you unique yet in the same way, somewhat similar to Edmonton, Alberta, where, you know, the people that are from there are proud of being from there. And if you don't want to acknowledge that, or if you want to run it down, then they'll tell you where the exit sign is. So I, uh, I have a lot of appreciation 
for the area I'm living at now. And I think part of that is uh, all the different experiences I've had leading up to this point. Yeah, it, you, you you kind of um, you kind of hit on the on the whole thing with you know with sports media where a lot of people say that well, if you really want to get into this business and if you want to get up into uh, you know covering the NHL or whatever it may be you know getting into covering you know U of A volleyball highlights or something like that is the way to go. I mean you, you have to you have to start somewhere and you have to find your niche and once you find your niche you find your voice right and I think and that's you, and you got to be willing to travel and you got to be willing yeah. to do tasks that aren't necessarily related to the job. You can't be above anything. Uh, you know the way you get noticed is is by doing the little extras and and doing them well. And I I think that helped push me over the top when it comes to my career is that I never, you know, tackled a task or handled a situation uh, with the attitude that it was beneath me. Um, and, and sports media will humble you in that regard. And if you're not of the mindset that you can, you can handle that or that, that uh, you want to necessarily do certain things, I think you're, I think you're putting yourself in a, a pretty narrow frame of mind and that's going to be harder when it comes to nailing down the position you want. I think the more open you are to options and, and different, you know, tasks that you might undertake when you're working your way up, I think it makes you that much more valuable uh, when you get to where you want to go because you've seen it all, done it all, heard it all, and been willing to participate in it all. Interesting. Um, I, so I did a little bit of a, I did a little bit of a, uh, you know, online run just to kind of, you know, just to kind of find out some more information. And, uh, from what I can find, um, a, a lot of people, like, I, I feel like every time I read it was a lot of people really commend you on your preparation for your role. Um, and us as listeners are so consistently entertained by the intense and, like I mentioned before, electrifying calls. I almost think of it as an actor sort of preparing for a role, right? But instead, you're calling a live hockey game. And I think that makes it way more interesting. Do you think those two things go hand in hand? Well, I think the biggest thing about broadcasting and the biggest thing about preparing for any kind of telecast or broadcast is when it comes to preparation and when it comes to research and just general wherewithal heading into a show, uh, I have one golden rule, and that is it's better to have all the tools and resources uh, that you may need and not use them than to need them and not have them and not have done the work. Uh, so that's the one thing I'd tell any young broadcaster is put in the work. It's better to have done it and not need it than need it and not have it. If, if you haven't done it, you'll get exposed. If you haven't done the work, if you haven't uh, put in the time, if you haven't treated each and every game with the seriousness and the dedication that it deserves, it will eventually catch up with you. It might not that particular night, but those kind of work habits will eventually catch up with you. And I think that, again, part of working in the minor leagues is you work a lot of hours and, you, you know, you may make decent money, but boy, you're working for it. And, um, I think that work ethic pays off at the game's highest levels now that you have a little more time to focus on, on the actual game broadcast as opposed to, you know, nailing down a sale, you know, for season tickets or nailing down someone's artwork for a dashboard in, in the arena or, or handling any kind of situation relating to someone who's sponsoring your team. 
Um, when you're at the National Hockey League level, more often than not, broadcasters, you know, chief responsibility is preparing for the games. And so you need to take advantage of those additional hours to prep for those games, and you need to make those count. And I think ultimately that shows up in your work, whether you've done it or whether you haven't done it. That's, that's it's so incredibly well said. It, I, I think of it. I, I, so I've actually been, I've actually been a drummer my entire life. And I know that one of the things with me at least is, you know, w- when people get into it, really want to start drumming, they, they think about, you know, wanting to play like those big fills and play a big drum solo and things like that. But it, it comes down to trying to fine tune all of those little things and wanting to get, the structural issues taken care of first. And then once you're at that point, then you can have a little bit more fun and you can add your own sort of spices to it. Right. So, um, that's very well said and very interesting. Um, I kind of wanted to just talk, uh, I know we're, I know we're a little bit limited for time. So I, I wanted to just get a couple last things in here. Um, wanted to just talk about the Oilers a little bit. Um, what was your outlook on this past season and what's the, and what are you thinking going forward? Um, Obviously, Ryan Nugent Hopkins just signed the big extension yesterday. Um, do you think there's still some really big additions to be made? I mean, also really tough with the expansion draft looming. Well, I think it'll be, you know, I think it's a year where Ken Holland has some money to spend under the salary cap. I think uh, nailing down Ryan Nugent Hopkins is step one. I think Adam Larson's on that list. There's going to be conversations with Tyson Berry. I think between Larson and Barry, it's more likely that Larson would resign as opposed to Tyson Barry, especially with Evan Bouchard seemingly ready for his first taste of, you know, regular NHL action. You got Philip Broberg back there on the left side. I think that's certainly an addition that the Oilers would look at uh, because I don't expect Oscar Clefbaum to be here. Uh, I don't know whether he will ever be here again. I don't expect he'll be here uh, for the start of training camp and be ready to go anytime soon. I, I just don't see that happening. But I do think there's some corners to round out in the bottom six as well. And again, that's where some of that salary cap money undoubtedly go. There's still, quite frankly, room for a top six left winger. I mean, you've got, you know, Nugent Hopkins on the left side, McDavid and Dreisaitl down the middle, uh, Pooley, Irving, and Yamamoto on the right side. You know, there's still an argument to be made. There's There's a top six left winger position uh, you know, can you find a guy for, let's say, four times four? I don't know. That That's that's something Ken Holland will certainly take a look at uh, and I think is one of the vital pieces that the Oilers will be looking to, you know, add. Look, they've, you know, they were 11th overall two years ago in the pandemic hit, and then they got eliminated by Chicago. They were 10th overall this past season in a divisions-only format, and they got eliminated in four straight. I mean, the cold reality is they're one in seven in their last eight playoff games. But that doesn't take away from the fact that the body of work in the regular season has been good enough, you know, to earn home ice advantage in a first round playoff series. That suggests you're on the right track, especially the fact that you've done it in back to back years. You'll recall, you know, when the Oilers made a run to within one game of the Western Conference final in 2017, they didn't make the playoffs the next two years. So now they've made it two straight years. They didn't have the run that, you know, they had in 2017 you know, where they, where they were able to win seven playoff games, they've lost seven of eight. So that's the next thing you've got to tackle. The next thing you've got to, you know, I I look at this as a progression. There's not many teams that just explode on the scene and win a Stanley cup in in a year or two. There's usually, you know, a couple of close calls. I mean, for years, you look at the last three Stanley cup champions for years, Washington, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, knocking at the door, 
get into an, a final here, get into a conference final here, uh, not being able to get over the hump ultimately. Well, they finally did. You know, all three of them. All three of them were next year's champions for so many years. It wasn't even funny, especially Washington. And they finally won it. Ultimately, I think we'll know Edmonton's a lot closer to a Stanley Cup when they when they get in those positions where they start losing second and third round series as opposed to, you know, four straight in the first round. Uh, they're getting there. Their regular seasons are solid. They've just got to, you know, get back to the playoffs for a third straight year, establish that postseason mentality, and then, you know, win a series or two. I mean, that's that's obviously the next step. Do I think the Oilers are going to win the Stanley Cup next year? No, I don't. Uh, it's, it's not often you go from being swept in four straight in the first round to winning the Stanley Cup. It's not often, but it just happened a year ago. So yeah. you never know. I mean, I, I'm just giving you how I think it'll go. And how I think it'll go is if Edmonton's to win a cup in the Connor McDavid, you know, era, and, and many people believe that, my guess is it's going to take five or six or seven chances to win it. It's just the way it is. I mean, it's hard to win these championships. I mean, Boston with that core, they won in 2011. They haven't won it since. They've gotten close. They've lost in the finals, you know, 13 and 19, but they haven't won it again. It's tough to win. It's no matter whether you have Connor David, Leon Drysdale, you know, or, or eight other guys, uh, you know, you, you just don't win four and five championships in a row. Chicago really maximized when they won three Stanley Cups in six years. That hasn't happened since the Oilers and the Islanders. So, you know, the, the Hawks are the exception. The Kings uh, going to, you know, winning two Stanley Cups and going to a conference final. It's, it's not easy to make these extended runs because once you make an extended run, it takes a lot out of you. What Tampa's done, you know, in back-to-back years is remarkable. But remember, the Lightning didn't play for six months before their first Stanley Cup run, and they played only 56 games in the second run. To do what Chicago and L.A. did, you know, that's real significant because you're playing about 105 games a year. The Oilers need to start playing 95 to 100 games a year. When they start doing that on an annual basis, we know a cup's right around the corner. Yeah, as a uh, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I can tell you, I I, I know I know just how, just how many takes or just how many runs it takes in order to finally find yourself, you know, finally find yourself to the promised land. It's not often you get it done on the first or second. No, try. absolutely but, not. But I think it is a good sign the Edmonton Oilers have made the playoffs two years in a row and three of the last five. They're getting there. They're starting to give themselves some opportunities. What you can't do is just miss the postseason. Then you're not getting a seat at the table. Uh, what you got to do is consistently put yourself in that final 16 and see what happens. I completely agree with you. Well, Jack, um, thank you very much for doing this. I wanted to just ask you one quick question before I sure. send you off, but um, once again, thank you though. You can find Jack uh, doing play-by-play for the Oilers on Sportsnet regional broadcast, as well as 630 Ched uh, for the national broadcast. Um, once again, thank you so much, Jack. I really appreciate it. Um, now the last, the final question, and it, it, it's, it, it's one where you get, you get a little bit of a choice. So I, I, I got to ask you, what is Jack Michael's favorite call he's made in his career? Uh, that's a good question. I can tell you what mine is. You know, I, I think, um, 
I, I would tell you this. The one I remember the most is when I didn't say anything at all. And that was the final 20 seconds of game six against Anaheim. It was a game the Oilers had put away. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, a big night, a hat trick and five points. They won seven to one. So it wasn't a close game. There wasn't a dramatic goal. There wasn't a heroic save in the last seconds. But why I consider that my, you know, maybe finest call is the right words because I didn't use any words. But the best decision I've made as a broadcaster is to let the, the, the real story speak for itself. And that was the final 30 seconds of that game was as loud as ever, any building I've ever been in. And I can't imagine it'll ever be that, that kind of energy again. It was so loud, my ears were ringing. And I think, I think in the last 30 seconds of the game, the only things I said were 30 seconds to go and maybe 10 seconds left. And I didn't say anything else. I let the crowd kind of finish it up, and the Oilers won seven to one. They would end up losing Game Seven two days later in, in Orange County, but I'll always remember that game and and the energy in the building. Uh, part of it is what we've gone through here the last eighteen nineteen months. Maybe I'm feeling overly sentimental, but that was uh, that was a fun night. That was a hell of a night, and um, I can't wait to be at a building like that again. I, I can't wait as well um, to tell you though. I, I, I still think mine is because you took over in the 10, 11 season, correct? For the yes. radio. Yeah. I still think it's your very first game. It's the Jordan Everly call. Oh, everyone loves that. one. Every, yeah. I, I it's, I mean, it would be, I, I think it's obviously, it, it's obviously the normie answer, probably that as well as the, uh, as well as the Talbot Smith fight. I mean, yeah, everyone loves who does, that. who doesn't love, who doesn't love that I hear one. more often actually, but yeah. Yeah, no, that, that first game, you know, was a hell of a game. It was Battle of Alberta. The Oilers won 4 nothing. Everly scored a breathtaking goal. Magnus Piarvi scored his first goal. They, they were making their NHL debuts. And, and uh, you know, Steve McIntyre ended uh, right of Stevenson's career that night, knocked him out cold on the ice. Uh, so that was, that was quite a first game. And you never forget your first game, obviously – even though I'd been doing this for a long time, I was obviously a little bit nervous heading into my NHL debut and uh, the Oilers made it quite memorable that night. And I hope those kind of days are, are, uh, you know, quickly forthcoming here in the seasons ahead. I hope, uh, I hope there's bigger fish to fry. And I hope certainly uh, that I'm working in the late May next year because uh, it'll mean a lot different than it did uh, this year. It'll mean the Oilers are deep in the third round instead of the first round. I certainly hope so. Well, Jack, once again, thank you so much. Uh, you can find Jack Michaels on 630 Chat as well as Sportsnet, and you can also find him on Twitter at Edmonton Jack. Jack, good luck on next season, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Cheers, Nolan. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah.